We looked at John 1 earlier this month, the first portion of it where it talks about Jesus being the Logos, the wisdom of God, the internal, the eternal word of God. Now we're going to look at Jesus being the Lamb of God as we continue our Names of God series this morning. And this is the testimony of John. It says in verse 19, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Last week, at the end of the sermon, during the benediction, I referenced the very end of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4. And in our English Bibles, the entire Old Testament ends with a, a really interesting verse in Malachi chapter 4 where it says, Behold, I send my servant Elijah before me to prepare my way. He'll turn the hearts of fathers towards sons and sons towards fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the curse. 400 years of silence. I'm sending my prophet, my servant Elijah, to turn the hearts of fathers towards sons and sons towards fathers. Now, what was John's mission? What was his primary mission as a prophet? To prepare the way. And the way in which John prepares the way, the way he gets people ready for Jesus, is by stirring within them a hunger to know God as Father. John's getting people hungry to meet Abba, Father. And so when they encounter Jesus, having this hunger within them that's been stirred, who do they see? They see the Son. And every time someone looks at Jesus, and every time someone listens to Jesus, he does this over and over again in the Gospels. He says, everything I say comes from God. Everything I do comes from the Father. I don't say or do anything without it being from the Father. So John's mission is actually to create a hunger in people to know the Father. And they're so hungry to know him. Those who are weak, those who are lost and know it, are so hungry to know God as Father that when they see the Son, they can actually see the Father in him. Now the Pharisees come and they say to John, are you the prophet, meaning are you Moses? At the end of Deuteronomy it says another prophet's going to come like Moses. But that prophet has yet to arise. And so they're asking him, are you that prophet, the one like Moses? He says, no. Are you Elijah? And he says, no. Which is kind of confusing because then in Matthew, Jesus says, he is Elijah. But what John's saying, because the people, uh, the Pharisees, and they, there was speculation among the people at this time that because Elijah didn't have a physical death, right? He went to heaven in a chariot of fire. So there was speculation that he would return in the same way. And so it would be literally Elijah himself who would come back. And John's saying, I'm not Elijah reincarnated. That's not, I, I'm John. I'm my own person. But Jesus says that he ministers with the spirit of Elijah, and fulfills that ministry. They ask him, are you the Christ? Are you the anointed Messiah? 
And he says, no, I'm the one, the voice crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, those people who were questioning him, it says that they were sent from the Pharisees. Verse 25, they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? See, John baptizing people was strange, because Jewish people weren't baptized. Gentiles were baptized. So there were different um, practices, baptismal practices then, where if you were a God-fearer, a Gentile, and you wanted to fully come into the Jewish faith, that's when baptism took place. For Jewish people, if you were born a Jew and you grew up within the Jewish religion, there was no need to walk through baptism because you were already part of the covenant by birth. So there was ritualistic cleansing and washing that took place, but not baptism, not a full-bodied baptism like this. And so John, this voice in the wilderness, this hairy dude dressed in camel's clothing, looking strange and eating locusts, is out there dunking people in the water. So it's really weird now. And they're coming to him and they're saying, why are you doing this? Why are you baptizing If you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Think about the weight of that statement, what John just said. Do you remember what Jesus said about John describing his ministry? What do you say about John? John's the greatest who's ever lived. Jesus, son of God, talking about John, says he's the greatest, greatest prophet. And John says, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. This has been talked about a lot, particularly in, in churches that practice foot washing. So we know that, that the washing of feet was for the lowest of the low servant in the home. John's saying, I'm not even worthy of doing that. Let alone a disciple. A disciple wouldn't wash a rabbi's feet. John's saying, I'm less than that compared to who he is. The next day, he saw Jesus coming towards him. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. One of the things that John the Apostle, the writer of the Gospel John, is interested in, is the revelatory nature of Jesus being revealed from heaven. So he wants it to be clear. John the Apostle wants it to be clear that this isn't people speculating about who Jesus is. We know who Jesus is because God said who Jesus is. So John doesn't even include the details about the baptism. Right? We don't read anything in, in John about Jesus being water baptized. We don't read about, about the voice from heaven saying, Behold, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. That, that's absent from this account. What he's interested in is this. John the Baptist said, I saw the Spirit of God descend from heaven and rest on him. 
But then he adds, and it remained. Because when the Spirit of God had descended upon someone up until that point, except for David, I think, we often read about the Spirit leaving. The Spirit came on a person, a prophet, and the Spirit left the person. John, the prophet, wants us to know this. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I saw the Spirit descend and it remained on him. I myself did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. John the Apostle loves the imagery of the Lamb of God. In Revelation chapter 5, we meet the Lamb again. This is the courtroom of God. This is the throne room of God, the innermost place, the sanctuary. It's similar to Isaiah 6, when Isaiah 6 is before the throne of God. John says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. The symbolism of this is so beautiful. So in the Roman culture, the final testament of a person needed to be witnessed by six or seven witnesses. And they had to be men of authority and of good repute. And they would have signet rings on them as they were witnessing um, the final testament being drawn up. And then as it was written on the scroll, the scroll would be uh, rolled up after it was finished and it would be tied shut with a string and then a wax seal would be placed on it on top of the strings, sealing it shut and then all the six or seven witnesses would take their ring and stamp in their family signature or their, their crest into it. So on that big wax seal, you'd have the seven different stamps of the seven different witnesses holding within it the testimony. And that testimony was not allowed to be open unless one of those witnesses was present. In God's right hand, he has his testimony sealed shut and nobody can open it. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one, not in heaven or on earth or under the earth, was able to open the scroll or to look into it. Not a single person who had ever lived was worthy to be a witness to God's glorious mystery. Tucked away his testimony. No one can open this thing. No one can stand in that place. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. So he can open the scroll and its seven seals. All right, notice what he says. Who does he say has conquered? The lion. The lion has conquered. And you can just feel, I can just feel all of these thousands of sets of eyes collectively looking together when this is proclaimed. The lion is worthy. He's conquered. Everyone turns their head expecting to see Aslan. 
right? Everyone turns expecting to see this mighty, majestic, glorious lion who is conquered by the strength of his might. This is our human instinct. But between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb. A lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. How many seals were on the, on the scroll? The seven. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls, full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They all look expecting to see this. The line of Judah has conquered, but instead they see the lamb, a lamb that had been slaughtered. I think this is such a beautiful painting. It's by Francisco de Zuberan, if I'm saying that right. It's a Spanish painter called the Agnus Dei. They see the slaughtered lamb and they sang a new song. This is a song that had never been sung before. The Lamb of God, worthy. He's overcome, he's conquered. And it releases in the heavenly places. It releases in the kingdom of God among his people a song that had never been sung before. A song that we get to sing today. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. I love this statement in verse 9 where John says, every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. He wants us to understand how important this is to God that all people, all people from all the earth, every culture, every island, every people group, every language, God desires that none should perish, but all might live, all might know the Lamb. This, this fourfold thing that he says, he repeats this like six times throughout Revelation. Every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. And you have made them, the Lamb has made them a kingdom, and he's made them priests. And they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. In the Greek, what it is is ten thousands of ten thousands, which ten thousand was the highest number that was readily available. And so what he's essentially saying is beyond counting, beyond what can be counting, be counted, all of these angels saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. All that John can imagine. Another list. He's trying to like gather it all. Everything that I can imagine he's worthy of. 
And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them. Again, he's like struggling to describe the magnitude of this. So every creature in heaven, every creature on earth, every creature under the earth, every creature in the sea, and what's more, everything that's in all of those things. Every rock, every particle of dust, every planet, every gasp of wind, every cloud, everything is saying and proclaiming to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. And this story is such a beautiful picture of the gospel. I heard someone say that the best way that we can evangelize, the best way to talk about Jesus to people is just to say this, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is what John the Baptist, his entire ministry is summed up in this, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then we get this picture again in heaven, the Lion of Judah has conquered. We look expecting to see the Lion and it's the Lamb that's been slain. This is the gospel. Jesus has overcome, not by physical power, but by death. He's overcome, not through taking things by earthly might, but through martyrdom. And it says that he, the lamb, has made for himself a kingdom and priests who will rule on the earth. That's you and I. That's all who have proclaimed, worthy is the Lamb of God. Now, just like his reign is not through physical power and might, so our reign reflects his. So how do we rule? We rule in the same way. By overcoming through sacrifice. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. What's our testimony? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We overcome not by might, but by the cross. We've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer us who live. It's Christ who lives in us. So yes, we are a kingdom and yes, we are priests and yes, God has given us dominion to rule and reign on this earth. But our reign is not one of physical domination, but one of service and love to our brothers and sisters calling every child, every man, every woman into the glorious new song as we sing together, worthy is the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Worthy is the Lamb of God to open the final testament of God. Worthy is the Lamb to open it up, the book of life, and see all the names that are written upon it. Worthy is the Lamb for every blessing. Worthy is he for every rich, every, every treasure, everything that's ever happened, everything that will ever be. Worthy is Jesus. It all centers upon the Lamb of God. The whole premise of this series has been God has a name for us, but if we're going to receive it, we have to first receive his name. So each week we look at the different names of God and then receive his name for us based upon the power of his name. Parker Ford Church, friends and family, guests who are with us this morning, God is your shepherd. And because he's your shepherd, you are his sheep and his flock. It says in John 10, my sheep know my voice. You know the voice of God. He is your healer. 
And because God is your healer, he's made you clean. Blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. This is the whole point of the the cleanliness laws, the cleansing laws in the Old Testament. The people of God couldn't be present with the presence of God if they were impure or dirty. So God's healing has much more to do with cleansing in our spirits than it has to do with anything else because God wants to make us fit for his presence. God heals you so he can dwell in you. He makes you clean so that you might be his temple. He is your banner, which means he waves over you. And his banner over you is love. And his banner over you is the cross. And because his banner waves over you, you are victorious in him. He is the word of God. And because he's the word of God, it says in John chapter 1, the Logos has enlightened men. We have been enlightened with the wisdom of God. And he says in Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world. He is the word of God and you are the light of the world. We looked at this last week. He is the son of God and because he's the son of God, you are his adopted child. And then this morning, he's the lamb of God. Behold the lamb of God. And it says in Revelation chapter five, the lamb, because he's worthy, he has made us a kingdom and he's made us priests. When we hear the word behold, we're supposed to stop and hold. Behold. I think, I I forget the number, but that word appears in the scriptures hundreds and hundreds of times. There's so many times where God wants us to just stop and hold. There's nothing worth stopping and holding more than this. The Lamb of God. I asked our worship team to switch the last song we'd be singing this morning Um, to Agnes Day so we can sing Worthy is the Lamb. So I'm going to invite the worship team forward. We're going to stop. I invite you to behold the Lamb of God who is worthy. Behold the Lamb of God who has taken away your sins. Behold the Lamb of God who has made us a kingdom and made us priests. Behold the Lamb and give him your hearts and worship and song. Let's stand and sing together. Worthy is the Lamb.